Memorial Day weekend of that year, it was 2012, I went to a party and I had a lot to drink and they didn't necessarily know um, how much I had had to drink and they tried to stop me from leaving and there was no stopping me. And on my way home that evening, I got lost in the middle of a blackout and I made a U-turn in front of a motorcycle. I woke up the next day in jail. And when I got out of jail, I called the police station to find out where my car was. And they told me it was being held an investigation of a vehicular homicide. And my mom was sitting on the couch because my mother was always there, always there. And um, I looked at her and I said, Mom, what am I going to do if I killed somebody? This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing team. Several times we've witnessed Gary Keller say, you're never more than five years away from where you want to be. When you imagine life that is amazing, so amazing that you actually can't believe it's possible, that life for you is no more than five years away from today. If you surround yourself with the right people, if you follow proven models and systems, and if you implement the guidance that is given to you, you are no more than five years from where you want to be today. The story you are going to hear today is a pretty remarkable one. This is the first time that the woman you're going to meet today is sharing her story on a public platform like this. It's a story of how you go from an incredible low, a rock bottom that most of us will never have to face. And how do you turn your life around? What happens when you find a higher purpose in what you do? What happens when you start to put intention behind the relationships that you form? And what happens when you begin to actively develop the mindset of extraordinary results? With that, let's get into my conversation with Brindley Tucker. It was five years ago in May, so it would have been about six years ago. I was, I found myself in a really, really dark place. You know, I, I wish I could say that I had had the perfect childhood growing up, and I didn't. And I had made a lot of mistakes, and I had also done some really neat things in my life. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to college. I was fortunate enough to do some exciting things in my twenties. I lived in Manhattan. And I was given some pretty awesome opportunities, and I never was able to see them through. I was never, I was always searching for the next biggest, shyness, greatest thing to fill this void of this hole that I had inside of me. And at 32, after doing all these wonderful things in my life, I found myself back home in a relationship with someone that was not a healthy relationship at all. He and I lived in a very, what I can do for you, what you can do for me type of, um, relationship and in a relationship in which, you know, you feel stuck and you don't know how to get out of it. And, and you just kind of become complacent and comfortable in it and you stay in it and you stick in it because it's easier to stay than it is to leave. And also when you're behaving a certain way and someone around you is living the same type of lifestyle, it's easy to justify your lifestyle. And so at that time it was, it was a really dark time. And I was back home at 32. I was drinking a lot because I didn't want to feel. I just didn't want to feel. Um, I hated where I was. I hated that I had nothing to show for my life at 32. And I 
ended up applying to become a, a real estate assistant. I thought I wanted to go into real estate and that, and, and quite honestly, people ask me now why real estate. And I said, cause I didn't want to be my own boss. I was completely unemployable at that time. I didn't want to listen to anyone. I still don't want to listen to anyone, but I certainly didn't want to listen to anyone back then and um, said, well, you know, everything I've done in my life, I've done, I've done by being an assistant first. You know, I've, I've learned it first by being an assistant of a really great mentor or someone that's doing and succeeding at a high level. And so why wouldn't I do the same thing with real estate? And so I started applying for real estate assistant positions. And Nikki Ubaldini, who is with Keller Williams, uh, owns the South Florida region. Uh, her office, actually, I ended up interviewing with and becoming the director of agent services in one of her market centers. And came in always willing to help, although those times, and I was not a stellar employee by any means. It was you know a means to an end. I quickly became friends with realtors and, and we know what realtors ha- like to have a lot of fun sometimes. And it just, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a good environment for me to be in. I wasn't in it for um, any other reason than just to support a paycheck and to support, you know, a habit. And I remember being around the Keller Williams environment and there was all this positivity. And in February of 2012, I went to my first family reunion and it was the first time that I saw the Keller Williams culture. Ooh, Jeff, it didn't take you very long, did it? And I was immersed in it. And I was surrounded by it. And, and you know, agents were, were so loving and so kind and, and we had so much fun together and, and they really, they cared about me. But to see that many thousand people come together and love one another and truly preach about God, family, business, was, which was everything that was missing in my life. Everything that I was trying to fill, this void that I was trying to fill, was all about God, family, business. Those were the three things that I was completely lacking in my life. And um, I came home from family reunion that February and I cried out to God and I said, I don't want to live, but I don't want to die. And I don't know where to go from here. I don't know how to get out of it. And I remember sitting on my porch that night and opening up the Bible and reading and just saying, help me. I wouldn't stop that night. I would continue to drink um, copious amounts of alcohol because, again, I didn't want to feel. And now I had made this proclamation to God that I wanted to change, and it just made me feel even even worse. And I truly believe that God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And Memorial Day weekend of that year, it was 2012, I went to a party. And I had a lot to drink and they didn't necessarily know um, how much I had had to drink. And they tried to stop me from leaving and there was no stopping me. And on my way home that evening, I got lost in the middle of a blackout and I made a U-turn in front of a motorcycle. I woke up the next day in jail. And when I got out of jail, I called the police station to find out where my car was. And they told me it was being held an investigation of a vehicular homicide. My mom was sitting on the couch because my mother was always there, always there. And um, I looked at her and I said, Mom, what am I going to do if I killed somebody? And I spent spent about the next 48 hours living with this immense weight of that I was going to be spending the rest of my life behind bars, that I had taken another man's life and I didn't know how I could ever live with myself. And we found out two days later that he lived. Thank God. Thank God. And I only believe that by the grace of God did that man live that night. And um, I believe that he lived because I believe that God knew I would be more useful out here than I would be behind bars. And at that time, you were talking about a girl who had been a spoiled brat, had been given everything she ever needed, had never worked really for anything in her life. 
had always had a bailout plan, had always had someone to, to bail her out, had always driven a nice car, had always gone to private high school. And for the first time, there was no bailout plan. There was no plan B. My family was not going to help me anymore. I was broken. I was homeless. Um, I had a home, but I didn't have a house. Nikki, of course, and I had to part ways in business because of everything that I was facing. And I made it a commitment that day that I was going to change my life. And I didn't want to live that way anymore. And I didn't want to be that woman anymore. And so I haven't had a drink since that day. And my whole life changed that day. I, as you do in these situations, found an attorney um, in town, and his name is Kevin Hazlett. And I will honor that man till the day I die, because I walked into his office in my pearls and my Kate Spade and sat down like I just could get out of it, like I had gotten out of it so many times before. And he looked at me and he said, you realize that if you don't learn from this, you will die. Or someone else will, and you might as well. I looked at him and I said, yes, sir. And so that started the journey. And I had to find work because um, I was unemployed and because I wanted to leave this man that I was with who had been supporting my income and a few agents out of the office. And this just goes to speak volumes about our Keller Williams family hired me to do assistant work for them. And I'll never forget. I went to Walmart. I had $99 and I went and bought a beach cruiser with a basket on the front of it. So we're not talking about like a Trek bike that has like a ton of shocks. Like we're talking about like pedal your rear end. I probably had the best looking rear end in Florida. (laughs) And I would um, strap a laptop with bungee cords to the back of it. And I would bike from agent to agent to agent. And it was when edge edge came out and we were getting everybody set up. And sometimes I would bike 50, 60 miles a day, just rebuilding my life, becoming self-supporting. I had to go on government insurance and, I remember one day having to do this rat race around town just to get medical care and to figure out how I could get medical care. And here I was this little, you know, spoiled brat having to ride public transportation with her bike, trying to get public health care. And I remember breaking down one day and like, I can't do this. I just can't handle this. I can't, I can't do this. It's not worth it. And a girlfriend said to me, Brindley, you have no idea how many people you're going to help in the future, figure out how to get public health care. And she was right. I can't tell you how many women I've helped in the last five years figure out how to get public health care, you know, and I believe that every single thing that I've experienced has been able to help benefit another human being in some way, shape or form. And so that started the journey of, of where I am today and just really, um, hard work and determination. And, um, I couldn't have done it without Keller Williams. That's for sure. I also want to make sure that people have an understanding, Brinley, of, where you are today, the amazing transformation that has happened over the last five years. I know you're really humble, so I'll, I'll brag for you. You know, folks, imagine being where she was, and then you fast forward five years. Not only did she um, end up building her own team inside of Keller Williams, it's very successful. She ended up becoming one of our coaches, which that is a highly coveted, highly respected spot. The people who are coaches inside the organization are the top of the top. Uh, They live the values. There's a high level of integrity and ethics. And to have that honor bestowed upon them is a really big deal. So that's, that's a pretty amazing transformation in just five years. I love myself today. I saw a picture of um, myself about a six months before the accident. And I didn't even recognize the girl in the picture. 
the girl then was broken was it's funny. I had heard many times before you're the sum of the five people that you surround yourself with. And I mean, obviously we hear it all the time. And I was, um, recently in a class with, um, taught by Seth Campbell. And I don't know what it was about that day, but he said it. And I went home that night and I was talking to someone about it and I looked up and I realized that I had spent the majority of my life making sure that everybody liked me, worried about everyone liking me. And that's how I was. That's how I lived my life was everything I did was to become a chameleon of someone around me or to make people like me or to be that woman and say the things that I thought would make the, the, the most people in the room love me. And then I looked up one day and realized that I had never asked myself if I liked any of them. <laughs> and I think that that's the difference between the mindset of then and the mindset of now is the girl back then didn't have self-worth. She didn't believe in herself. She didn't care enough about herself, nor the human beings around her to even think that it would be okay to get behind a wheel and drink and drive. You know, I never thought about anyone but myself. I remember going back to make amends to Nikki and to Howard, our general manager, and really going through that process of thinking how selfish it was to put my employer, my family, I mean, my poor mother, I mean, she never knew if the phone rang after midnight, she never knew if she was going to get a call that I was dead or alive. Like, I never thought about those things. Today, I think about those things. Today, you know, I travel every two weeks. I think about my mom. I know that my mom worries to know where I am. And today, I care about the people around me. That's where my mindset has mostly shifted is, is in taking it out of myself and pouring into others and just knowing when you live every day as a gift, you don't tend to worry about so much about all the other stuff. Yeah. And, and professionally, you know, you hold leadership positions within side KW that are very respected and to go from assistant role to now where you are. I mean, for anybody that would be a major progression in spite of everything that you've gone through? Yeah. You know, I sometimes ask myself if people actually want my advice now in their businesses, I'm a coach. And so I'm a maps coach and Diana has been, you know, pivotal. I mean, talk about mindset. There's nothing like gold and, you know, Diana Kokoska to help, help you with your mindset. And I think sometimes you still have that feeling of when's the other shoe going to drop and you have to remind yourself that there might not be another shoe. (laughs) It's just a story you're telling yourself. It's just the story wheel, right? I did the story wheel with my team this morning and how much we just go into that judgment and we create these stories. And I think anyone, especially someone that like myself that is prone to any type of substance abuse or anything is always going to have, you know, need the self-talk and the affirmations. And I think affirmations and self-talk has been a massive part of my growth and being able to tell myself that, you know, I'm not responsible for my first thought, but I am for my second. And I can always tell, my second thought can always tell my first thought that it's wrong. Say that again and go into that. I'm not responsible for my first thought. My first thought is always going to come. What I am responsible for is my second thought. So what I've trained myself to do is I've trained my second thought to tell my first thought that it's wrong and that we don't think that way anymore. So when I started doing mind shift changes And really going into that, I literally would self-talk to myself all day long. Um, If you were around me, you would probably think I was crazy. So a a thought would come into play, whether it was you're not good enough or they're not going to like you or why would you ever think that they would trust your word or think that you know what you're talking about. I would say to myself, that's not true and we don't think like that anymore. And I would almost shake, I I would physically shake my head and say out loud, we don't think that way anymore. Um, And slowly over time, I didn't have the first thought just didn't come anymore. 
Mm. I remember coming into the world of affirmations and I got so over, they became so overcomplicated in my mind. I thought that they had to be these profound, you know, statements. And somebody just said one day, I think it was Diana actually, that said, I am are the most two powerful words in the human language, in the English language. And so I just started doing I am statements. And now my I am statements are written all over my bathroom mirror. And I still say them to this day. Do you ever wonder what it takes to develop the mindset of a master entrepreneur? The clip you're about to hear comes from a conversation I had with Jeff Sandifer, a nine-time successful entrepreneur who founded the Acton School of Business, which is led by an exclusive group of entrepreneur teachers and is the sponsor of this episode. I asked him what it takes to develop the mindset required to succeed in business and in life. The whole secret of the Acton MBA is you've got incredibly successful entrepreneurs I mean, it's like a Navy SEAL program of MBAs. It's really hard. But they come because they see these successful entrepreneurs and think, we're going to give you the secret to business. Well, we would love to give you the secret to business if we had it, but we don't. What we do instead is we won't tell you anything. We'll simply put you in the shoes of a real entrepreneur facing a difficult decision and help ask the questions over and over again it will take for you to get out of that dilemma. And once you've asked the right questions in the right order often enough, it becomes a reflex. It becomes a habit of a set of diagnostic questions of what you should do next. If you want to learn alongside business legends and develop the mindset to become a great entrepreneur, go to actonmba.org slash one. That's A-C-T-O-N-M-B-A dot org slash O-N-E. Let's go back to rock bottom. I'm I'm attempting to put myself in your shoes. Just I've had those moments where I personally got into trouble, where I had such big prospects for myself, expectations for my life, and then to uh, encounter situations that made me question if those dreams would become a reality. I remember feeling so incredibly afraid and alone. I'm imagining in your situation where you very legitimately may end up behind bars for the rest of your life. What's the commitment you made to yourself? How did you stick to it? You know, it's so hard. People ask me this all the time and I've I've often meditated on it and thought about it. And I don't know if I can, I've ever been able to really put my finger on it except the fact that I honestly felt like every day was a gift and I had been given a second chance. And I really thought to myself, there's a lot of people that weren't given that opportunity. There are a lot of people that didn't come out on the other side of what I came out of. And I remember calling my grandfather, you know, my mom was there with me through it all. My grandfather is, I didn't grow up with a father. So he's always been my, um, the epitome of any type of um, strong man that I've had in my life. And he wouldn't speak to me. And I think that going from someone that was so selfish and didn't care about anyone else to getting to a point where literally the people in your life that are, that are, that love you unconditionally, no matter what, don't even want to speak to you anymore. I was broken. I was completely broken. And then, you know, I have to give credit to recovery, you know, Recovery has been a huge part of of all of this for me and people loving me when I couldn't love myself. You know, those agents that despite 
what I had done that said, no, we're still going to support you. We're still going to let us help you because we see every day what you're doing. We see every day that you get on that bike and you, you pedal. And I don't know why they did. I don't know why they, but they did, they did. And, um, I truly believe that, that God brings people into our life. I was talking to someone the other day that, you know, we were talking about choosing people in our life. And I said, I don't believe that I choose people. I believe that God chooses people by bringing, you know, making our paths cross. And then time allows us, the time brings us together. Over time, we come together. And I think that's so true because I think about the last five years and the journey and the people. I mean, the people, Jeff, is probably the most. No one succeeds alone. And I certainly haven't. Well, my wife and I were, talking about this a lot over the last weekend because um, I've had some great mentorship. I've been very fortunate and have learned how to train my mind in a certain way. And uh, my wife transparently has not had the same mentorship, strong support system that I have had. And she was asking me questions about how do you not go to the negative? How do you not focus there? And we started really dissecting at what point in her life did she intentionally choose to surround herself with people that would lift her up and stretch her mind so that she could understand there's so much more she could accomplish. Or did she just surround herself with the people who were negative because it was easy and because misery loves company. It was, it was a huge, huge aha for her. And then whether there was intention behind what you did, you happened to surround yourself with a great group of people that were there to support you, that did see something in you when you didn't see it in yourself. What would you say to those people who today are not where they want to be. They have big dreams for themselves. Maybe they take action. Maybe they tell themselves the story that it can't be done to justify their inaction. Yet they still have that dream. They want to make a change. What do you say to them? I think first and foremost that it's simple, not easy. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Say it again. Simple, not easy. I also think, you know, as you were just saying that, I think for me, I naturally am someone that cares about people. Now, the old Brinley, it was came in the form of a very high I. I'm still high I, so obviously I still care a lot about what people She's think. She's talking about a disc profile, by the way. Yeah, sorry. I'm a very outgoing yeah, individual that tends to, I'm very social, very gregarious, that tends to, people tend, you know, I care a lot about what people think. The difference between then and now is that back then I help, I would only help people because I cared so much that I thought it would make them like me more. Mm-hmm. So I've always had this innate way of wanting to help people and whether it was to get something, what has shifted now is that now I truly care about human beings. There's something about having that type of experience in your life that makes you realize that every day is a gift and that, you know, who am I to judge anyone for anything? I mean, if you look where I've been, I, I certainly am not one that can can place judgment on anyone. I think what got me through was that I knew that, that this story and one day I would be able to help a lot of people through what I went through. And I think some days I would get on that bike and it would be hard and I wouldn't want to do it and I wouldn't want to get out of bed. And I would just say to myself, if I can help one person, just one person, if my story can just help one person then it's been worth everything that I'm going to go through today. And look at my alternative. What was my alternative? The alternative was death. So every day was better than that. And so I think for people that are out there that feel like that they're in a place where they can't 
come out of it. I will tell you that I have learned through this experience that when I cried out to God in February and said, I don't want to live, but I don't want to die. I probably would have had a much easier route if I had chosen to do it myself. And what I've learned is, is that when I put something out into the universe, it usually is going to come back to me. And if I do it in God's timing, it usually happens pretty smoothly. If I try to do it in my timing, it doesn't. And in this situation, I wasn't willing to do it in his timing. So he had to force it to happen in a pretty big way for me. And that's my stubbornness. You know, sometimes I have to have a two by four slapped across my face to say, okay, are you done yet? Where it would have been a lot easier if I would have just buckled down and done what I needed to do. And so I think also that, I think also the five people you surround yourself with, right? Are you surrounding yourself with people that are going to take you to that next level to take you to the place that you want to be in life? And that happened for me, Jeff. And and that's happened throughout the course of this entire five years. The people that I surrounded myself when I first got sober and stopped drinking are completely different than the people that I surround myself with today. It's not, they're not still a part of my life. They're just not the same. They just serve a different role. They serve a different role because I'm different. I've evolved. I'm constantly evolving. I mean, I got to sit in the presence of Mary Tennant and Mo Anderson last week. Former CEOs of Keller Williams for those people who are not in the organization strong, powerful women, Diana Kokoska, you know, women that have built amazing, amazing things. And a year ago, I wouldn't have believed that I deserved to be there for a minute. Today, I believe that I deserve to be there. What do you say to that person who um, ultimately, again, they have big dreams. And if they were to honestly look in the mirror, they would realize they are not taking action because they do not believe they are worthy of the results. Stop it. <laughs> okay. How can they go how can they go on that journey? Yeah. So the first and the foremost is surround yourself with people that are going to love you when you can't love yourself. Mm. That's the number one. I, I honestly believe that that was the only thing that got me out of it. And obviously the phone call of your your, your vehicle is being held in an investigation of vehicular homicide is pretty powerful to make you want to make some life changes that moment would not have carried into the next five years if it wasn't for the people that I surrounded myself with, starting with my mother that was sitting on the couch that morning that's going to love me unconditionally. You know, the mentors, the therapists, all sorts of people that have surrounded me and said, Brindley, we believe in you and we believe you're beautiful. We believe that you're awesome. So if you don't believe it, find the people that you do and hold them as close to you as you can. Spend as much time with them as you can, pour into them, let them pour into you until you believe it. And then also, hands down, number one thing is talk to yourself every day and tell yourself all the things that you know you are, but you can't believe you are. I still have to tell myself every morning that I'm beautiful. Well, and, and, and I want to reinforce what was said earlier. I've heard Gary say this so many times. You are never more than five years away from where you want to be. When you imagine that dream life, life that is so amazing, it's actually not believable. If you were to surround yourself with the right people, follow proven models and systems, it would take five years or less to get there. For some of you are going to go, that's awesome. That's super motivating. Let's go. And some of you are, there's going to be that doubt. Part of the reason that 
we're having this conversation with Brinley is because I need, I need you to understand no matter how bad your situation is or how much doubt was your doubt more significant than hers. You know, I'd also say, um, something that really helped me is to find people that have been through similar situations Yep, and not just similar that are on the other side of what could have been for you. So for instance, I was fortunate enough to hear a woman speak a couple years after my accident and she shared that she had killed someone in a car accident while drinking and she went to prison. She spoke somewhere and someone gave me a recording of it. And I listened to her talk about getting out of prison and getting her hair colored for the first time. Now, Jeff, I know for you, that's not as important as it is to us women. But going through that and her talking about, you know, getting manis and petties and and experiencing all of those life things for the first time, and it rocked me. It did two things for me. One, it said, if she can do it and she can make it through that, who's to say I can't make it through what I'm going through? She was my yet, right? She was what should have happened, what could have happened, what would happen if I decided to pick up another drink. That was hands down a driving force to, to give me the motivation to succeed. So I think the more people that we can surround ourselves and be inspired by and say, well, if they did it, why can't I do it? And just continually, again, it's reprogramming, right? Reprogramming yourself to believe that you can do it. Mm-hmm. When you look back on the transition, who were, who were the people that, or if there was one person in particular, we're going to go with the theme. Who's that one person that really was the lead domino in terms of you getting back on track. I think it's also, you know, people that are not only the people that love you when you can't love yourself, also the people that are willing to, to help and offer the help, right? So we raise our hand and we ask for help. And then who are the people that will, that are around us that will look and say, you know, we're not going to give you a free pass and we're going to love you and honor you and your hard work as you work through it. And for me, that was Nikki Ubaldini, hands down. You know, this was a woman that hired me and what I caused her and her general manager, Howard, I mean, Howard had just started working for Nikki and my accident happened and he had to deal with that, you know, having an employee that is getting out of jail and having to go through that whole nightmare. And I caused a lot of pain, you know, I, I caused a lot of pain in her businesses. And, you know, I remember two years later, I reached out and she brought me back in and she had seen all the hard work I had done in those two years. And she said, I want to be back in business with you. I want to give you a second chance. And there's so much power in second chances. And I, I just, one thing that Nikki has taught me, she is the queen of second chances and that everyone, everyone deserves a second chance. And if it wasn't for her, I can't say that I, you know, I'm sure I would have, done well. I, I'm sure I would have succeeded. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't be within the path and in the organization that I am now. Um, she's been a mentor for me and, and she's not someone I talk to every day that, you know, mentors don't have to be people that are in your life consistently. Um, mentors to me are the people that are in your life when it's the most important time for them to be there. I'm putting myself in the shoes of the listener who says, all right, I get it. I see the value in surrounding myself with those people how do I do it? I'm going to lead you here. What's the one thing they absolutely must do in order to seek help? What do they first have to do? They have to raise their hand and ask for it. Boom. 
And you have to, you know, and, and here's the thing, Jeff, I think you've seen a lot of this with me. You know, my dear friend, Seth Campbell says it, hashtag raise your hand, right? There's not a single time that I haven't said yes or raised my hand to something that an amazing opportunity hasn't followed. <laughs> what do you think stops people from asking for help? Well, fear of failure, for sure. What would that look like? Well, I think for me, for all those years prior, I didn't want help because it would mean hard work and determination to fix it. Like I wasn't prepared to do the work. I wasn't prepared to stop the lifestyle. I wasn't prepared. It was much easier to just not feel and to bury myself and not feeling, you know, to drink, to not to feel. That was the easier, softer way. If I would have stopped drinking, it would have meant that I would have had to have looked in the mirror. I would have had to peel back the onion layers. I would have had to you know, dig deep on things and pain points and emotions and family things that I've never, you know, talked about or never wanted to talk about, or especially never admit to another human being. I would have to put the mirror in front of myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we naturally want to take the easier, softer way. And we don't realize how great the reward is on the other side until we take the first step. And when we take the first step, a little bit of reward comes and then we take the next step and then we start to get a taste of it. And I think that's what that, that is the the number one thing too, is that the hardest steps are those first initial steps to get there. Once we start getting the momentum and the trajectory and we, we start seeing the reward that comes with it, it's easier, right? And we become less fearful. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think for me, if I could say anything to anyone right now is, just trust the first steps. Just take the first steps and, and just get through the first steps because it gets easier. It gets so much easier the further you get into it and the further that you keep going. You're literally describing the domino effect. It's exactly what I'm describing. Knocking down that first domino is not easy, especially in this situation. And if done consistently, it unleashes extraordinary results in your life. I was looking down um, episode 54. If people go back and listen to that one, it was with Lee Cockrell, who was the executive vice president of operations for Disney resorts. He said something in that, that, that is super aligned to what you said, Brindley. He said, if you do the things that are easy today, life will be hard. And if you do the things that are hard today, life will be easy. What I have found when it comes to people wanting to surround themselves with the right people and being afraid of raising the hand and asking for help is they fear that if they get vulnerable, people will judge them. They will think negative thoughts about them. Something bad will happen to them. In your experience, Brindley, every time you have asked for help, what were the results of that? I have always received it. Always received it. And at a level higher than I could have ever expected, more help than I could have even asked for or ever expected. And what I did was wrong. It was wrong and it was hurtful and it was selfish. And thank God, thank God that that man gets to um, be with his kids today. You know, he was um, coming home from work that night and instead of walking in the front door, his wife got a phone call and I caused that pain. And, um, to be vulnerable and share that in a, in an open environment is not, and especially in a professional one is scary. You were there. I recently, the first time I had shared it professionally publicly was in a room full of my colleagues and it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. 
And by doing it for the first time in five years, I no longer felt like I had to be validated in that room. Because I think there's part of us too that feel like when we when we screw up or we do these things or we make these big mistakes that we don't deserve to keep the company that we keep and that we should be shamed and we shouldn't be able to experience life because we should pay penance for it. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that I believe in grace today. I do believe in grace. And I believe that we should give each other grace. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Brinley Tucker. Folks, what stood out for you in this episode? Of everything that was shared today, what's that thing that really resonated with you? We recognize the importance of stopping sometimes, pausing to really acknowledge what we're experiencing in our life. This is such a powerful story. And and when I first heard Brinley's story, I knew we had to record this because we don't want you to have to receive the two by four in the face in the form of what she experienced. Almost taking a man's life and almost having to spend the rest of hers in jail. Do you need to have something that severe happen to you for you to wake up and ask the question, why am I here on this earth? What am I trading my life for? Do you need to have something that severe happen to you for you to look up at the people that you're investing your most valuable resource, your time with, and ask the question, are they pushing me to raise the bar? Are they making me a better person? Are they where I want to be? Will it take something that severe for you to look in the mirror and have the hard conversation and say, I'm not surrounding myself with the people who are where I want to be? How long will you allow yourself to live with the mindset that you're not worthy of achieving greatness? You're not worthy of extraordinary results. How long will you live with those lies? Of everything that was shared today, What's the one thing you're not doing that if you started doing immediately would make a major impact in your life? This podcast exists to expand your mind and most importantly, to help empower you to take action, to implement what you learn. Everything we do, that is the one thing. Implementation. How will you implement this episode? Our suggestion is that you begin by asking for help. I put myself in your shoes while Brinley was talking and I asked the question if I could just be sitting next to you and compel you to do one thing, it would be this. Step one, where do you need help most right now? Of everything that is going on in your life, if you had to boil it down to one thing that you really needed help, what is that one area first? Next thing, ask the question, who is somebody that if you had the courage, you feel pretty confident if you ask them for help, they at least would be receptive. Maybe they're not the perfect resource for you. You you just, you feel pretty good that they're not gonna look at you like a crazy person. Really low risk. And number three, open up your calendar 
and identify when you will reach out to them and ask them for help. The side of my story that was never told to you, you know how that Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with has been such a driver in my life. What we haven't shared yet is how in that moment when I was approaching these people, I asked for help and it was scary. It was really scary to approach people who I were I perceived to be light years beyond where I was. To look at them, to look at Jay Papazan, for example, which this happened, and to say, you inspired me and I need help. I want to build a business. I'm surrounding myself with these types of people and I don't know what I can do to bring value to you. Can I interview you to help promote the book? Can I seek guidance? I was scared. I was shaking before I went up and talked to him. He said, yes. That conversation, had I not asked for help, I wouldn't be standing in his office right now talking to you, which is exactly where I am. How can you ask for help today? How can you raise your hand? Because no one succeeds alone. We are confident that when you do, (laughs) you will be amazed at how the world seems to conspire to rise you up and help you achieve things that are beyond what you could ever imagine to be possible. One resource that we can point you to is our My Purpose document. If you go to theonething.com, that's with the number one in the URL, and then you click on Free Stuff, the Free Stuff tab, you will find uh, a My Purpose action guide, which will help you get started in terms of asking some really thoughtful questions so you can begin to bring more purpose into what you do every day. If this episode has helped you, please share it with someone who needs to hear this. It is the highest compliment you can give us is recommending this to other people. If you are not yet subscribed, please go ahead and click that button. That way, all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And finally, if you have not yet left us a rating and review in iTunes, please do so. We read everyone. They mean the world to us. Please take the time to do it. Thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.